Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in the world. It's episode 24 of the Neither Here Nor There podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Kilby, and alongside me is my co-host and dear friend, Daniel Greer. Daniel, it's not actually been that long since we recorded last. How are you? How's the last five or six days since we recorded been? (laughs) I know, I just talked to you. We just did this thing, but... Ladies and gents uh, that you're li- listening to us now, it's uh, Tuesday the 20th. This episode will be aired, uh, what, Friday the 2nd of March. So for us, it's not been that long for you. It's, of course, been the two weeks. So welcome back. I uh, hope you're still enjoying the podcast. And, Stephen, I'm doing well since we last spoke. I had a, a weekend getaway in western North Carolina, Maggie Valley, North Carolina, near the Cherokee Indian Reservation, west of Asheville, uh, it was cold, but it was fun. Good food, good time with my family, um, good time with um, the folks in my life. And we had uh, yesterday off for President's Day. First time in my working career I've ever had President's Day off. So that was nice to have a long weekend in the middle of February um, to celebrate the executive office of the United States of America. Tell me, President's Day, is it not normally a holiday then? Well, I didn't is. even know it's, President's Day existed. I've completely forgotten. It's a it's a federal holiday. It's a long, long time holiday. You know, government workers and a lot of people are off, but also a lot of people aren't. So outside of having a government position, it depends on the company you work for. But um, yeah, it was nice. You know, my eight years at my prior employer, we didn't have it off and um that company has Good Friday off. My current company does not. So there's a bit of a trade-off, I guess you could say. Uh, but it's nice, you know, from New Year's, well, I guess now Martin Luther King Jr. Day to, to Memorial Day, which is at the end of May, to have a break. Because it's an awfully long stretch for us this time of year without any um, government-sanctioned holidays. So it was good. But yeah, President's Day is significant. I think it's actually on George Washington's birthday. And I believe President's Day was created not only for him, but also because Abraham Lincoln's birthday is in February as well, two of the greatest American presidents. Uh, also, Ronald Reagan's birthday is in February. So there you have it, three great American presidents all born in the same month, coincidentally. Um, but, you know, there's no real celebrations, I don't think. Uh, there's no parades. There's no barbecuing. There's no real get-togethers as far as I know. I could be colossally wrong in that regard, but I believe that it's not as significant as, say, Memorial Day or Labor Day, and especially not the 4th of July. Mm. Nice. I mean, we don't have any holidays between New Year and... Easter. Easter, yeah. And that moves every year, doesn't it? Yeah. Easter's, Easter's always the first Sunday after the it's there's some weird calendar thing with Easter where it's like the first look it up real quick if you don't mind if you can you pull it up I know you're on your computer it's like the first Sunday following the full moon after the spring solstice maybe um but let's look it up and verify because if not we'll have an angry listener (coughs) dad uh that will tell me that it's um uh, not it's, correct. It's the first. It's the first Sunday after the full moon that occurs on or after the spring equinox. 
Oh, I was right. Although I said spring solstice, the spring equinox. So there, I was almost correct in that random fact I pulled out of my arse. So, <laughs> so that's how that's how uh, Easter is determined on a yearly basis. So you know, yeah, sometimes Easter can be in March. Rarely, I think it's in March, but most of the time it's in April, right? So, mm. um, but yeah, other than that, you know, things are just moving right along. Um, what about you? I guess you can tell everybody why we're doing this podcast so early. There's a big reason why. Oh, purely, purely, oh, it's not a, that exciting of a reason. I'm going to Qatar for the first time uh, at the end of this week with work. So the time zone would be an absolute nightmare. And it would be me doing what I've done a couple of times before, which is like recording at like three o'clock in the morning. <laughs> so doing it now means that I can... I can get my uh, 10 days in Qatar over with without having to um, try and find a time when I think you're going to be eight or nine hours behind me. So that would just be a nightmare. <laughs> so, so yeah, off to Qatar and can't say I'm thrilled to be going like it's, it's, a, I'm, I'm glad to tick it off because the country I've transited through, but never actually stayed in. But, yeah, I can't say I'm thrilled at the prospect of spending 10 days in Qatar. I'll see it, actually. It's Weirdly, it's a place that I'll probably see a reasonable amount of because I'll be moving hotels halfway through. But I think we're in an Airbnb for the first half of the trip. And that's right in Doha and on a marina. So I probably will actually see what Doha's like as a city, um, as well as just going to and from the racetrack. So it'd be interesting to see how it compares to the other Middle Eastern countries. I'd imagine it's not too different, aside from it being a little bit more strict on the rules with, you know, where you can go drinking and, you know, how people how people dress and stuff like that. But, yeah, it's it'll be an, an interesting experience to feedback on, I guess. I'm guessing that you have no intention of going to Qatar. Um, I wouldn't I wouldn't be opposed to it if the opportunity presents itself, but just to go exclusively to Qatar, I would probably not want to do so. I would like to do maybe Qatar, the UAE, Bahrain, maybe Saudi all in one, you know, because it would seem very strange to me to fly halfway across the world to a desert. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I feel like in a way, I mean, this is really, really like um, generalizing, but if you've seen one of the Middle Eastern countries, you've kind of seen them all, like all of like the UAE and Bahrain, and I'd imagine Qatar is pretty similar in the sense that, aside from the touristy attractions and the good weather, there's not a great deal to them because it's not like there's tons of stuff to see that's been there for hundreds of years. It's very much that you know they're still being built as we speak, essentially from the ground up. So, so yeah. Um, I'll feedback though. Who knows? It may surprise me. I may come back with a completely open mind, but we'll see. <laughs> it is hard to to crack the British mind. Um, <laughs> it's even harder to crack yours. <laughs> <laughs> well, that must be due to my British genes. <laughs> Old habits die hard, my friend. Well, you'll have to report back. That will be good. Um, I'm curious to know. I'm sure our audience will be curious to know as well. What Qatar is like um although you'll probably be at a racetrack for most of it so I mean I'm, I'm imagining it's it that will have a slight difference so I just from going on the flight to um I transited through Doha to get to Dubai 
last last time I was out and flew on Qatar Airways and all of the films and TV shows on the plane are heavily censored to give you kind of an indication of how strict it is. So I started watching the film called The Departed, which anybody who's seen it is like a an epic gangstery type movie with lots of violence and you know it's it's you know there's a lot going on in it and watching it was just complete waste of time because every woman's you know basically torso was blurred out um anything that was religious <laughs> like any religious symbolism like crosses or anything like that were all blurred out any any substances like alcohol any alcohol advertising was blurred out um all the swearing was cut out and blanked off um, and it had Arabic subtitles no matter what you what language you watched in so I mean it was a waste of time because I, I got 20 minutes into it and it was unwatchable because there's like there's an early in the film there's a fight scene in a bar and it's basically just a blur with the occasional sort of you know fist coming through because there's so much in the background in this bar that they can't show you like Heineken and Budweiser adverts and you know like those neon signs and any bottle of whiskey on the on the on the bar itself has to be blurred out and then you know any violence like gore and blood is all it's all blurred out as well it's just basically a blur with the occasional line being said <laughs> so I turned it off in the end so I'm, yeah it's uh it's a, it's a wild world out there in, in Qatar it seems yeah or not yeah. wild really 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 sanitized well, it sounds like you need to uh, just spend your time on that flight reading and not watch any uh, redacted films. Um, yeah, I will be. That will be an utter waste of time. But no, that that's funny. Not surprising, though. Um, hmm. so, so, yeah, do you want to go into Fact of the Fortnight? I see you. It's your turn this week. Yeah, but first we have a shout out to give to our dear friends, Brian and Jamie Connor. They welcomed in a baby girl a couple of weeks ago. Uh, in the grand state of Ohio, uh, Columbus, Ohio, specifically, uh, Megan, Megan uh, Connor was born healthy and they are now parents. So congratulations to you, too. Uh, and special shout out to our youngest podcast listener, uh, Megan Connor. So figured that we would do that. And then let's yeah, let's jump into the fact of the fortnight. OK, so. This is more of just a broad fact, um, but I will share it and also give a recommendation for a great podcast. Uh, there is a <clears throat> podcast called The History of the English Language. It's a long-running podcast, hundreds of episodes, but basically this podcast starts with how the English language was formed many, many thousands of years ago in prehistory. Um so the so the English language is an Indo-European language, and the Indo-European language by all languages by all evidence arose out of the plains of Eurasia in prehistory, and these Indo-Europeans then dispersed across Europe and down into the Middle East, all the way to India, spreading their language and early culture. We have very limited historical evidence of these people really just words, and I don't know if there's much in the way of archaeology. We know that they were horsemen and that they were, you know, sort of like hunter-gatherer, I guess, type people um, who traveled, maybe similar to like the Mongols or the Huns or something. But anyways, the interesting fact is that literally every language on the globe from 
um, Icelandic all the way to Bengali is derived from the original Indo-European language. So it's pretty bizarre to think that you can trace the roots of the language that we record this podcast with all the way back to a mother tongue, of which is also descended uh, Hindi, um, Urdu, um, the Persian language in Iran, and then most European languages. There are a few that aren't like Hungarian and Finnish and maybe Basque, I think, are not. And then, of course, you know, there are other language families like Semitic, which Arabic and Hebrew are derivatives from. And then, of course, there's Asiatic languages like Chinese, Korean, Japanese that are also separate. But I think it's very intriguing that so many languages, especially lingua francas of the world, English, Spanish, and French, and then also languages which are widely spoken by people uh, outside of those, but, you know, also Bengali and Hindi and the other languages spoken in the Indian subcontinent are indeed related. And if you go back and you look, um, the ancient language spoken in um, India was Sanskrit, and Sanskrit was actually very similar to um, Latin. And <clears throat> the words for like mother and father and God, for example, were all very similar. And the reason how like people figured this out was back when the British uh, conquered India in the 1800s. Um, the British, you know, just didn't send military people to India. They sent geologists and botanists and archaeologists and all these scientific people to study and learn the culture. And these uh, scientists studied ancient writings on tablets and walls in India and were able to decipher what they meant and then figured out that these ancient Sanskrit words um, were similar to Latin. And just imagine, you know, the avenue that that opened up for human study and interest to think, wow, like mm -hmm. these people thousands and thousands of years ago, you know, Sanskrit was basically the Latin of India was so similar to the Latin of the Roman Empire in, in some ways, at least in root words and similarities in words and that sort of thing. So I wanted to share that fact and also share the podcast recommendation because it's it's a really interesting thing to study. Um, and languages, of course, always have interested me. So did you know any of that or? No, that no, not, no, not at all. I mean, even when studying English language and like the origins of, um, you know, the language that we speak today and, you know, learning to decipher old English, it wouldn't go about that far. So that is quite interesting. Yeah, really interesting. So what's the podcast? Yeah. Sorry. It's the History of the English Language podcast. And nice. I don't know how far along he is with it now, but the literally the first dozen plus episodes are all about the Indo-Europeans and what they might have been like and, you know, <clears throat> where these root words come from. And it's, it's utterly fascinating um to, to make the connections there uh so check that out and then also our listeners check that out as well so wanted to share that fact and then i guess now we can just sort of dive in to the main main topics if you want yeah why not what what's your topic for this one um oh i don't know i've got two kind of smaller ones so okay let's talk let's talk about these so the first is airports which I've yeah, because I was looking at your topic and I was like, how on earth are these linked? I was like, I'm really intrigued to know how you're going to how you, how you relate airports to ancient Greece. 
Bring it on, baby. Well, they're, I know. <laughs> well, they're not, <laughs> they're not linked at all. That's the funny thing. But we are going to talk about both. So um, airports. I've spent a lot of time in airports. You've spent 10 times the amount of time I've spent in airports yourself. So I figured it'd be fun to just talk about airports and just how weird airports can be. Um, mm-hmm. So to me, like airports, I guess, are described as places that are outside of space and time almost. Okay. Yeah. So like another dimension where nothing matters. Yeah. Cause all right. So you're like, you're in an airport, right? And it doesn't matter what time of day it is. It could be five in the morning. It could be 12 at night. There's people sitting at bars drinking. Um, and so that doesn't matter. And then also, you know, you're in a separate realm from society. Like once you go through security, you're in this other almost dimensional like plane where the normal rules don't apply. Like you can't just really leave. I guess you could, but um, you see what I'm getting at? Like it's yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. It's just sort of a weird place, and it feels to me sort of like a hospital, where it's like sanitized maybe, but also not like I never feel clean after I've been in an airport, and I just like want to go home and shower um, afterwards because airports are just kind of gross and. Another weird thing to me about airports is like the food and drinks in airports never taste right. Like, sure, you know, like the Charlotte airport has a Wicked Weed Brewery, which is a very famous brewery in North Carolina. And sure, every airport's for the most part, it's got like a nice sit down um, restaurant, bar, whatever. Right. But the food just never it feels like it's like 3D printed food or something almost. (laughs) I've never noticed that. Well, I don't know. Like, I always think airport food's bad for some reason. Um, what What do you think? Like, I mean, it's different. Now, I do remember, like, in London, um, you know, like, last time I was at Heathrow, well, the last couple times, like, I had a big English breakfast, which was good, and then that was two times ago. The last time I had sushi, which was, like, on the conveyor belt thing, it was, like, one of those yo sushi places that are all over London, but... It's just different. And then, of course, there's all the stuff they try to get you to buy, like the duty-free liquor and the duty-free, like, handbags and all that junk. And <laughs> it's just so bizarre. And, like, also, airports are just so strange because, you know, there's there's giant airports, right, like, like Atlanta um, or Charlotte's big or Heathrow's really big. But then, you know, there's, like, Tri-Cities Airport, which is, like, it's still an airport, but it's completely different. Um even though it's labeled as an airport, just the same. So I don't know. I have a lot of thoughts on, on airports. And I mean, we all, I'm sure everybody listening to this spends time in airports, whether for work or for fun, it gets you where you need to go, but it's just a strange way to travel in my opinion um, as well. And, you know, I don't know. I just wanted to talk about them and also talk about your experience with them too. Yeah. I mean, I never noticed that about the food, but then uh, weirdly, like, because I travel so much with work and often well I'd say probably nine times out of ten I'm with my boss who's got you know the highest status and privileges you can get with most airlines so when I go to an airport with him it's a completely different experience to if I go with Carolyn because I don't have to go through the normal security and I don't ever go outside of into the, the area where all the food and drink is and that because at places like like if you go through the first class check-in at Heathrow, you go straight into like a business lounge and you just get 
fed and watered and you just sit and read newspapers or you know do a bit of work or whatever on a desk or do whatever you want it's kind of like a completely radically different experience to queuing up for half an hour to do security and you know have your life stripped out and and then kind of shoved into an area where you've got tons of food and drink and shops everywhere and it's just complete chaos so i don't actually spend that amount of time that much time in you know in the in the main areas of airports um as as you'd think but yeah i mean you do get sick and tired of them after going so frequently but and i just i cannot i'm so done with security like airport security could be a topping in itself because it's just oh just the worst thing about it is the fact that you go everywhere around the world and everywhere has slightly different rules and that really annoys me is that the tsa agents or the border control agents who like do the security assume you know what their rules are and get annoyed at you if you don't and it's like well if you go to bahrain they don't care about anything you just put your bag through you don't have to take any clothes off you don't have to take your liquids out you can put liquids through and they don't they don't care but then if you go to heathrow it's like take your belt off take your shoes off take your socks off you know take all your liquids out laptops tablets kindles Bend over. You know, uh, yeah yeah and then go through a scanner thing and then you know have your life ripped out and or if you've got medication or you can't take that through or you know have that ripped out of your bag and then they sh- they're like well i don't know why you've left that in there and it's like well nobody's ever told me that i can't take an inhaler and leave it in the bag when it goes through and all that sort of stuff and it drives me up the wall but um yeah in general like when you get into an airport if you go through like a a normal airport and you're with somebody and you're going on holiday it's actually quite an enjoyable part of the experience i quite like if you're going on a big holiday the the sort of you know going through the airport the first time on the way out can be really cool because it's like you've got the whole holiday in front of you you go and have some nice food and drink um and i, I always kind of look forward to that bit if i'm going on holiday but for work it's just i just generally straight through security and just get my laptop out basically so it's yeah completely different just full autopilot yeah I, I get it and then like also just you know sometimes airports are slammed like two weeks ago i flew you know to alabama I got up early tuesday morning left my place at like six in the morning got to the airport and the charlotte airport which can be really really bad with just crowds was like easy it took 10 minutes to get through security and i've queued up at the security at charlotte for like 45 minutes an hour it can be brutal, can't it? That 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 zigzag queue that goes down that corridor. Oh, that's horrible. Oh, it's absolutely miserable. Um, yeah. and I don't know. Like, I've never really been a frequent. I've never been a frequent flyer, so I don't have like access to the the Admirals Lounge or like the Capital One Lounge or any of those. I mean, I would like to maybe do that one day, but I fly just enough to where it's a nuisance but not enough to where i feel compelled to have like a special credit card to where i can like accrue miles and pay the fee and like all that stuff you know just to just to justify it but you know it's, it's so frustrating like sitting in a terminal like at a very uncomfortable chair usually if it's a full flight there's a ton of people and just being um just being kind of cramped and then the plane of course is even worse which we won't get into because that's a whole separate topic but um i don't know i just don't like it but you know having like passes on your wallet on your phone has made it a lot easier like it was so annoying having printed boarding passes and having to keep up with that and keep up with your wallet and your phone and 
you know, whatever else you're doing. But um, airports are strange. Uh, I will say, though, that the Tri-Cities Airport in my hometown is fantastic. Absolutely love that little airport because literally you just show up, go through – you know, if you now you can just check in online, you're good. Boom, you know, boarding passes on your phone, go through TSA, you're there. And that airport's always great, but bigger airports just aren't as much fun. Um, the ones where, like, for me, the, probably the worst thing about airports is usually getting in and out of them, like in a car or a bus or a train. Like, there are so many airports that are just absolute mazes and just a zoo of signs and lane changes and just spaghetti junctions and oh that that is nothing more stressful than landing in a place you've never been to before on your own having to get a hire car and drive it out of the airport because it's just chaos pretty much everywhere in the world there's not the worst one is is orlando driving out of orlando airport it always seems to be night when you land from the uk it's always raining and it's and it's just it's just it's hard it just throws you straight out into like a four five lane motorway and you're just constantly having to fork off to like different you know interstates and if you don't know where you're going it's just impossible to navigate and it's just full of people doing the same thing and everyone just hasn't got a clue where they're going so you've just got to really concentrate because the amount of people that are switching lanes and you know making last minute decisions just off the clock that's that's the worst to me and ones where you just have to spend forever like you know you get off a train to get at an airport and then you have to walk like 40 minutes to get to where you need to be because they're so big like that's that can be the most stressful part of the whole ex- airport experience is actually getting in dropping off a hire car or getting to the airport rather than the actual once you're there it kind of i always feel calm it's like okay as long as i've got time it's fine i'm here now it's okay but it's sometimes it's like they're waking up the day that you fly and just even if it's like a 6 p.m flight or whatever it's, there's always that little panic in the back of your mind of oh, i need to make sure i'm there by three or you know just need to make sure i get there on time because missing a flight is like everybody's worst nightmare i guess especially if you're in the other country coming home yeah yeah like i mean I, did i tell the story on the podcast about me missing that flight from atlanta last year i don't know if you did i don't know, don't think i know this story do i um i i don't know i'm sure i told you but like the worst travel story ever was it was April and it was just like two weeks after I got back from the UK and I had just started my new job, but I had a Sunday evening wedding in Atlanta and it was like mid April. Right. And then, you know, I was just back from the UK and then the weekend after that, I had like another trip to Tennessee planned. So I was like, well, I'm going to make this as easy on myself as possible. I'm going to fly to Atlanta from Charlotte, which is like a four hour drive. I'm just going to fly and you know fly saturday fly back sunday sunday night easy right and be back be back for work on monday morning well i get there everything's smooth great trip wedding's great went to a braves game all that so leave the leave the wedding with like three hours to spare get to the airport with like an hour and 45 minutes to spare for whatever reason that sunday night in atlanta the airport was slammed and it literally took me over an hour to just even get through TSA. And by the time I got through TSA, I had missed my flight. And luckily, when I was in the TSA line, I heard a, a guy probably 10 years older than us on the phone with his 
wife's. And I heard him say Charlotte. And I turned around and looked at him and he pulled his phone down and said, are you going to Charlotte too? And I said, yeah. And he said, here's my number. Um, text me if, you know, we both missed the flight, like we can figure something else out. And so sure enough, we both missed the flight and it's like 10 o'clock by now on Sunday night. I've got work the next morning at nine and I'm panicking. You know, here I am in Atlanta. I don't have my car. I've missed my flight. The next flight's not until 6 a.m. And so this dude and I were like, all right. What can we do? What are our options? We don't want to wait around all night and try to get on this next flight. So we um, basically took a um, shuttle over to the Atlanta airport rental car place, which Atlanta is so big, you got to take a stupid shuttle like 15 minutes to the rental car place. So we get there at like 11 o'clock at night. Enterprise has no cars. Hertz only has cars if you're returning to Atlanta. So we try, I think, budget. And budget, thank goodness, has a car that we can rent. So this random stranger and I decide, let's just split this rental car and drive the four, four and a half hours back to Charlotte. So, I mean, this was literally like something out of a movie, right? And so we get the rental car and we leave Atlanta at like 1145, 12 at night. And then we drive all through the night, splitting the drive, drinking coffee, just telling stories you know, getting to know each other, this random dude that I'd never met in my life before this moment, just to keep each other awake, right? And here we are driving up Interstate 85. It's two in the morning. We're telling like ghost stories just to keep ourselves <laughs> stimulated enough to just just be awake, right? And finally, um, we get to Charlotte and it's like four something in the morning and I drop him off at his house. And then I take the rental car back to mine and I sleep from maybe like 5.30 to 8.30, you know, and kind of just one of those weird semi-conscious sleeps. Yeah, those are and, the worst. When you're, when then, you're kind of the adrenaline's so bad that you can't quite sleep. Yeah, and then I wake up and I, you know, worked and whatever. Luckily, like, my job was just starting out, so it wasn't too bad. And then I took the rental car back to the budget rental car place in Mooresville, which is 20 minutes north of here. And then had like an Uber come get me all that, you know, just because of missing a flight. But it was a, it was a crazy story. Looking back on it, I'm like, wow, you know, that was that was pretty, you know, adventurous and pretty crazy. I pulled that off, but scary at the same time. You know, airports can be scary places sometimes, too. I've never missed a flight, believe it or not. But I came closest to missing a flight earlier this year when I was going through Doha last. Did I tell you this story? My way to Dubai? Uh, I don't think so. Tell it. So I finished the Rolex 24 at Daytona, flew back from, drove to Orlando, flew back from Orlando. Carolyn picked me up at the airport, drove me back home. I got in the house, unpacked, repacked, laid down in bed for an hour, had a nap, and then went straight back to the airport to fly back to to. Um, Dubai but my flight to Dubai was via Doha so I get on the plane it's a really long journey and but the long and short of it was I didn't sleep I should have slept on that flight but because I had somebody who was an absolute nightmare next to me I couldn't sleep and I ended up at the very back in the middle I land in um, Doha with just over two and a half hours to make my connection which in theory, is so much time to play with, it, it's fine. We land, it takes us 40 minutes to get off the plane, 
because it's in a shot. It's like in a, um, you know, it wasn't on one of the normal um, docking bays. It was like an auxiliary one. So you had to wait for a coach to come and collect everybody. So we wait for this coach. Everyone bundles off the plane. We get on the coach. And I kid you not, the driver of the coach got lost on the way to the airport. Doha <laughs> airport is massive. He got lost and just kept driving around the perimeter of the airport and struggled to find the, the area to send us all through the main bay through border control and the exit and connections. So he drove around like three or four times. And it was only when people got really angry and started um, like literally shoving and pushing the uh, banging on the glass door between us and the cockpit and sort of shouting at him saying we've already been here before we've already passed this building like three times you need to you know please let us off that he finally pulls in we get through into the airport and at that point i've lost over an hour just on the coach from the plane to the airport so already i've lost more well i just over two and a half hours i've lost about 40 minutes getting off the plane and another hour so already we're down to less than an hour until i need to board or so i need to get on my next flight so i get to the security queue at the connections place and that is a massive queue with like hundreds and hundreds of people so i queue there for like 25 minutes get all the way almost to the front and then they cut the rope in front of me cut the queue in half and send all of us who were on the back end of the queue to another part of the airport because it was too busy so we all get shuffled do a 20 minute walk to another security queue which took the same amount of time and by the time i got through that security queue my flight wasn't even on the board anymore and hmm. i was like oh my god it's like it's literally midnight and by the time i'm supposed to land at something like two or three in the morning so it's it's the worst because all my colleagues aren't awake they're already there I've got nobody to contact and I've no idea how to, you know, what I'm going to do. I've got work the next day. What on earth am I going to do? So I get through security, look at the board, get this guy to scan my ticket, say, where's the gate? I can't see it anywhere. And he goes, oh, it's already been final call on your flight. It's C80. Uh, you won't make it. But if you want to try, it's down those escalators and on the left. So I go down the escalator on the left to the C to the C um, section of the airport and I'm at gate C80 and I'm standing there at C1 and I've I literally ran the length of this airport the amount of you know <laughs> the amount of people I had to push past to get there I get all the way to 80 at the other end of the building basically and everybody's gone except for the two people at the gate and the two people at the gate I pleaded with them to say I've I've got to work tomorrow there isn't another flight till you know for hours and hours please just get me on the flight if it's if it's not taken off please find a way to get me on the flight and they got a coach and they pulled up the coach and drove me on my own across the runway to get on the plane just before it taxied to the main runway to take off so i was last person on the flight and at this point i'm so stressed and angry but i managed i made it by the skin of my teeth like had i been two or three minutes later the plane would have been in the sky but and then I, obviously I land at like half three and I get to the hotel and I'm absolutely finished by like five o'clock in the morning haven't been up for better part of two days straight but oh there's nothing more stressful than being tired on a flight and almost missing it it's, it doesn't get much worse than that especially when you're on your own like I was because it was like I don't know how I'm going to get through this 
where we trapped in Qatar airport for like a day. Oh, how am I going to explain this to everybody when they get when everybody wakes up the next morning? It's like, oh. So, yeah, I know how you feel. It's awful. Well, on that note, safe travels next week. Yeah. <laughs> Thank God I'm not connecting. Um. Well, you want to move on to my second topic, and then we'll we'll wrap. That won't take too long, and then we'll jump to yours. Mhm. Okay. So, I thought it would be interesting to talk about ancient Greek cities in the Eastern Middle East, if that makes sense um, from a word standpoint. Um, so, Stephen, did you know that there were at one time for several hundred years Greek cities and kingdoms in what's now Afghanistan, Pakistan, and India. Uh, no, I don't, I don't think I did, no. So, you know, Alexander the Great was Macedonian, right? Conquered, mm-hmm. conquered Greece and then basically conquered everything from Egypt, Tur- now what's now Turkey, all the way through Persia onto Africa, or sorry, onto Afghanistan, and then all the way to to India, and then, you know, basically got to India, and then he was killed or died, um, I think in Babylon, um, when he was still relatively young. After he died, his generals divided up his empire. Um, well, the Greeks that went with him, of course, colonized and planted seeds and stayed in the conquered lands. And so literally for, you know, 200 BC until 100 AD, there were Greek kingdoms in Northwest India and then also Afghanistan. There were the um, Indo-Greek uh, kingdoms and then the also the Greco-Bactrian kingdoms. And I think it's very fascinating and maybe unbelievable to think that literally greek culture spread to you know almost the borders of china and certainly the borders of india or or were in what's now modern india but to think that there were greek cities in afghanistan today is just shocking you know because you, you you don't think of afghanistan as being a place that would be associated with anything greco-roman at all and in particular there's one city on what was called the Oxus River in ancient times, um, but it's 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 now called something different. Uh, the city of Al Kanun, which I think a French archaeologist discovered some time ago, and of course now that's off limits due to the political nature of Afghanistan in the modern day. But these, um, but you know, there were Greeks there for hundreds of years, and they built gymnasiums and temples and. Uh, you know, it's not like they were just there as soldiers and they set up a camp and killed people and left. Like they actually lived and operated there and minted coins and spoke Greek and all these things for for many, many generations. And eventually they were absorbed into other later kingdoms. And, you know, I don't know if those people mixed in with the native people that were there. They probably did. So maybe there are some Afghans to this day that have like genes that are common in Greece, you know, from for, in Macedonia from those conquests. But it's utterly interesting to me that that is the case because, you know, I don't know how far Afghanistan is from Greece, but imagine just how far it was in ancient times. And that Greek culture spread 
that far east is just utterly baffling. And, it, you know, you can look up the ruins of Alkanum and then other Greek ruins on the Internet. You can watch videos on YouTube, and it, it would be an amazing thing to see one day to see these ruins that are there and you know you look at the geography and the topography around these areas and they're utterly beautiful they're river plains they're green they're surrounded by mountains and it's just it's just very interesting to me um so um what do you think about that any thoughts or it's amazing that there's much evidence and ruins in a place like afghanistan being how war-torn it's been for so long like imagine you can't even imagine how much it's just been lost to conflict since then. I'm surprised there's any evidence at all. Yeah, and you know, the Taliban destroyed a lot of ruins at one point too. They destroyed um the the Buddhist statues that were or the Buddha statues that were in ancient um or that were in Afghanistan. So it's it's amazing, you know, they may not be there forever, but as far as I know, they're still there to this day, and it's just weird to think to me that the civilization of which we come from had a presence in that very different part of the world at one time, and, you know, it's not like it was like Egypt or North Africa, which was very close to Greece and Rome, and which were long time greco-roman and later christian areas i mean this is this is far far east you know far east different people different cultures um far connect far disconnected i guess from the main avenues of trade and uh you know relatable civilization so it's interesting and it's also interesting we just don't have a lot of information on those areas either during that time period but it's just a little maybe nugget of history that you know is worth looking into more for the curious mind definitely oh, and just the history of a place like india in general is fascinating i mean that's a country that's been through just cycle after cycle hasn't it over hundreds and hundreds of years it's a country that i'd, I'd love to visit and learn more about as a whole um and yeah i would never have guessed that the ancient greeks like ever you know had a foothold there in the same way that i think i've said to you before like when you go to bahrain and you you're in the middle of a desert that basically was inhabited for well you know had no, there was nobody there for god knows how long and you you come at the airport drive down the, the one main motorway basically out of the airport and you're a mile or two from a massive portuguese fortress that's hundreds and hundreds of years old and you think well what on earth are the Portuguese doing here? <laughs> well, clearly they didn't stay very long because they realised that nobody's there. <laughs> like it's, it's kind of pointless <laughs> to build a fortress in a place that's, you know, 50 degrees in the summer and completely barren. And I think at that point they wouldn't have realised how valuable the commodity of oil would have become. But yeah, it's it's fascinating when you the further you go back and you realise how much you know things have changed in a lot of these countries and I've got a bit of a flavor of that reading this book on the English monarchy of just just how many times you know countries or areas and regions changed hands and are just completely unrecognizable um is you know it's we kind of get used to the world map as it is now and just kind of assume it's kind of always been that way and the you know the borders always being the same and the, the country's always been the same and all these separate cultures all kind of having their own 
know, little areas. But the reality is it's, it's kind of, <laughs> it wasn't that long ago that the, the world map looked radically different and it may look radically different in the next 100 years or 200 years, wasn't it? It could, yeah. And I mean, you know, the Portuguese were onto something being in Bahrain. If, if they had stuck around for a few centuries longer, they would have been but even wealthier. They could have been the new Norway. Because like, of all the petroleum. Rich on, rich on oil. Absolutely. God, there was too much of it almost. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, there there's scatological, I think that's the right word, um, scatological evidence. Um I think that's the right word. Maybe not. Probably not. But um, that the Romans, the Romans definitely, you know, made it to the Atlantic Ocean and they um, they had fortresses on islands off the coast of modern day Morocco, which isn't too hard to believe because Morocco and then Hispania across the Straits of Gibraltar were um, Roman provinces. And then but they made it down the Red Sea all the way to like what's now between Yemen and I guess Somalia, they had forts there. And then the Romans led expeditions up the Nile um, and across the Sahara into like what's now Chad and Sudan. So, you know, just think about like a guy in like Roman legionnaire armor traversing across the desert into, you know, the tropical areas of sub-Saharan Africa. That That's kind of weird. You know, that's like picturing somebody in a Victorian outfit on Mars or something almost to me where it just doesn't really quite make sense. But it's utterly fascinating. You know, you, you mentioned the Portuguese. They they probably were in Bahrain in, what, 15, 1600. I mean, imagine 1500 or more like that, years, yeah. 1500 or more years before that, you know, the Greeks and Romans and Phoenicians were doing these things. And, you know, there's been Roman coins found in India and China. There's been Phoenician uh, artifacts found in Britain. You know, the Phoenicians were in what's now modern day Lebanon, Lebanon in the um in the Middle East, the Phoenicians traded uh, to Britain, and that, you know, in ancient, ancient times, before the Greeks and Romans, the Phoenicians, Britain was a long way from Lebanon. Um, so, I don't know, the, the ancient world's fascinating to me, just because there's so many things we don't know. But I feel like that those people, the educated and the adventurous, were much more aware of the greater world than we think that they were. Um, and... I always wonder, it's like, okay, well, you know, the Greeks and Romans and the Chinese had to have known about each other. The two great empires of ancient civilization got pretty darn close to touching one of it, one another, and I'm pretty sure they had traders that would trade along the Silk Roads and move back and forth, you know, goods and that sort of thing, but they had to have known of each other. And I'm wondering, like, did they send diplomats, like, were there... Chinese diplomats in Rome in ancient times, and were there Roman diplomats in ancient China? And it's interesting, and I'm sure that there probably were, and I'm sure there's evidence. I just don't know, but I just wanted to maybe to touch on this subject because history can be so out of place sometimes. Um, and you just, you know, you you study history and you think, well, how did that end up there? You know, how were there Greeks in what's now Afghanistan? Because it just doesn't really fit the narrative of what you assume. No, it almost never does. And the worst thing is that there's so much, you know, so much lost to history, especially once you go back to the ancient times. And and when you get through, you know, 
you watch any documentary or read any book there's so much supposition that has to take place because the evidence is so scarce and it's a lot of the time it's there's no there's no detail to any of it so you have to put piecing together you know a puzzle with only a handful of pieces essentially so you think how much we don't know about time periods and you know what life was like in particular that's what always fascinates me is what life was like for your average person through some of these periods of time because everything changed so rapidly in some of these eras and you just think i can't imagine living through some of it Right. And, you know, you know, I'm studying a lot on Eastern Rome now, listening to a podcast, hopefully starting a book on it soon. And it's it's just so fascinating um, to, to the more the more you start to study, the more you want to learn, because you realize that the trajectory of what we're taught is not really a straight line. It's a massive tree of roots and different branches and some branches are short and some branches are chopped off and then some flourish and go on for many many years um or centuries or millennia and uh that might be why i'm just so fascinated with it all in general so uh there's some food for thought for you and for our listeners and i think i'm ready to wrap it up and move on to your topic if you're ready too yeah, sure. I mean, mine won't take too long and it's quite lighthearted, but I thought we'd do something fun that will get us, you know, raging and raring to go on the on the debate front. I was going to, I was, you're lucky, Daniel. I was, I was close to picking test cricket as a topic, but I thought, you know what, there's a time and a place to discuss test cricket and it's probably not on this podcast. So I've saved you the boredom and instead we're going to do the ultimate would you rather quiz. So we're oh, going to go really? through some would you rather questions and and debate the hell out of them. All Are right. This, yeah. This Are you ready? Good. good topic. Yeah, let's do <clears> it. Would you rather live in the Antarctic or live in the Sahara Desert? Hmm. I'll give you a minute to think about this. I would rather live in the Antarctic. OK. On the basis that you can wrap up warm. On the basis that we have far better climate control technology for that type of environment versus the desert, I believe. Maybe mm. not, but just off the cuff, I think, you know, with research stations that are in Antarctica for science, it's much easier to live there, at least for a, a short or semi-long period of time um, than it would be in the desert where there's literally nothing, right? Like, at least... In, well, I don't know. I guess maybe Antarctica and the Sahara are kind of the same, where they're both deserts in their own way. But I believe Antarctica would be mine. What would be yours? Yeah, I mean, you're kind of on the same lines as me. But for me, my, my reasoning for Antarctic, for the Antarctic is pretty simplistic in a sense that if I live there and it's, you know, beyond freezing, you you can warm yourself up. And, you know, if you had the right you know you know a number of layers on you could you know still get cozy and sleep well at night it would be borderline impossible on days when it's sweltering in the sahara to cool yourself down but just just trying to do that as it is wherever you are in the world unless you had i suppose you had a building with air con 
but I can't imagine you'd have much in the way of electricity and the ability to get an aircon unit out in the Sahara Desert. So that's that's where my that's where my mind went. I'd rather live in the cold and warm myself up because I find being in places that are just intolerably hot impossible day and night to to ever feel comfortable. Yeah, agree. So we're on the same page with that one. Um, Would you right. rather take a trip to space or go to the depths of the ocean? Mm. My my immediate thought was, oh, clearly it's space. And then I thought, hang on a minute, we've spent way too much time fantasizing about being on the Titanic to not take that opportunity. Well, I think I would still say space because it's much cooler to be like I've been to space and I've been to the bottom of water. Um, and, and... <laughs> You've been to the bottom of water. What have you been doing? I've, I've been to the bottom of water, sir. <laughs> bottom of water. Well, and also, you know, it would just be exhilarating to be able to be in space and look at the Earth from space and be like, oh my yes. gosh, everything seems so small. Like that's that's where I live. That's where everything is. But yet it, there it is over there in the distance. And to be like detached from our planetary environs is something I think that is at the core of all human interest and desire, you know, and it dates back to just probably prehistoric urges of exploration and what's over the next hill, you know, type of thing. But, you know, the, the depths of the ocean are very interesting, too, and we know very, very little about the is ocean. That- well, yeah, and so much of it's completely uncharted, isn't it? Yeah. And it, it, gets, it gets to a point where, and, you know, if you really did go to the depths of the ocean, to the point where there's no light whatsoever, and the creatures down there are just completely wild, aren't they? There's all sorts of stuff down there that, that, that we don't even know half of what's, you know, that what, <laughs> what sea life is down, you know, at the very, very bottom of the ocean. Like there's some amazing documentary stuff like Planet Earth, where you've got you know your David Attenborough set up and they've got cameras in the depths of the ocean and some of the stuff down there is just like like an alien invasion. It's just like, what on Earth is that? <laughs> well, so it's, and uh, it would be fascinating to see if you could do it and not end up like um, the guys in that that submarine that got um, you know sucked into a crisp packet yeah and i mean the ocean's so dark too so it's like you know you go down in this tiny little capsule and it's like you look at a tiny tiny porthole and there's like a light but you know it's like what really can you see you know like what can you see in my opinion like your your viewpoint of being in space is much grander than being in the depths of the ocean so uh space for me What's more terrifying, though, the feeling of being completely alone in the universe and in space on your own or being in the depths of the ocean on your own? Mm. They're kind of one and the same. If you were, say you were trapped, depths of the ocean or in space. It's horrifying. Both of them. There is there is quite there is something quite unsettling to me about being in space alone because you know, it, there's nothing simple about getting back if anything went wrong. The ocean's finite. The sp- you know, space is infinite. Doesn't mm. end. So I think just my brain would collapse from fear 
of realizing I'm in space by myself um, versus the ocean. So what about you on that one? Yeah, for me, it's... mm, Yeah. That's really difficult. I I do feel like it would be properly terrifying to be trapped in a submarine like those people were. Was that a year ago? It was what... Was it, was, it, was it last year yeah i mean that July. must have been horrendous like, yeah yeah so that did kind of creep me out when they were, when i was reading in depth about what it must have been like and gradually running out of oxygen and all that i was like oh my god um that sounds horrendous i don't know uh, but yeah i will take the trip to space as well so that's two for two we go on to would you rather number three would you rather never shower again I'll never talk to anyone again. I would rather never shower again, as horrible as that would be for all the people I would still talk to. <laughs> <laughs> well, people get used to your smell, wouldn't they? And you'd get used to it eventually. Like you just like you do, like when you can walk into someone that's got a really pungent smell like a butcher shop and you, you're taken aback by it first. But then eventually you kind of just tune out of it, don't you? Yeah, I mean, you know, people before modern times are pretty pungent, I'm sure. Um, so it must not have been too bad. But to, yeah, to never talk to anybody again, you would literally go insane. Yeah. And, it, and well, there's it, no parameters around this either. Like, Is it that you you could, you know, you're living a normal life, but you can't talk like as in your lips are sealed? Or is it you're alone and you can't talk to anybody? That's two very different things. Because... And then does sign language count? Yeah, does that count as speaking? I guess it I, does, right? That's it is a form of communication. I don't, I don't, I don't know. I don't think so. Or I mean, I think it does. So I guess we'll just say you literally can not communicate, speak with anyone else. Um, I'm moving to my charger. My phone is dying. Can you still hear me? Okay. I can hear you fine. So okay. we're both going for the let's be stinky option yeah let's we're, just we're, like embrace embrace the body odor we're going for the let's not go insane but let's make everyone else around us insane with our smell <laughs> <laughs> um yeah sorry i'm i'm off my mic now but i don't think it's going to make too much of a difference so would you rather only watch movies forever or only watch youtube forever mm, hmm where do you get these questions? <laughs> Why? You don't like them? They're, no, I like them. They're, they're interesting. Um, I would There's some probably, radically different ones to come. I would probably rather watch YouTube forever because YouTube has so much content. And it's, I mean, it's literally like everything. And I would dare to venture that YouTube has a more broad scope of what it um shows versus just movies right yeah i I mean the the problem with this question is youtube does have movies on it well you wouldn't be able to kind of get past this questions by because you can rent any movie you like couldn't you or so you can watch youtube forever but okay so we say you can watch youtube again forever but you you can't watch any movies on it hmm See that would that would that would completely take away the ability to go and have time out at the cinema. I do enjoy going to see movies in the cinema. The experience of doing that. 
that is a topic for someday on this podcast but hmm so you're going youtube yeah definitely i'm gonna go only watch movies forever because i feel like if i want you know what do i watch on youtube I watch watch a lot of YouTube, but a lot of it is stuff I have on in the background, like podcasts. So if I didn't have YouTube, it wouldn't matter. So mm. I would, I'm going to go movies. I'm going to go with the movies on this one. Okay. Would you rather only be with one person or only date forever? <laughs> I'd only rather be with one person. I'm so sick of dating. Yeah, yeah I mean, that, for me, that's an easy one. But there are we all know people who just dating is their thing we've all got that one person in our life that has no interest in ever settling down with somebody and just going from one to the next no i've learned in my years of dating and trying to date that it's much more rewarding and satisfying to be with one person that you can build something with than to just you know turn over from one to the next I'm, i'm so tired like luckily i'm in a good relationship now and you know it's it's finally working out for me i know i've spent a lot of time on this podcast probably mentioning it mentioning it or not but i'm so thankful and happy to be in a good relationship with somebody that brings me happiness and that somebody who i think i make happy too and it's it's just it's just better like especially in today's world with the dating apps and stuff it's it's so much more enjoyable to have a steady person that you can count on and that you can look forward to seeing and that you know that you don't have to worry about so one person forever yes and i know that you, yeah. that's your answer too yeah 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 the only the only thing that you miss about dating when you're in a long-term relationship is that there is something exciting about meeting somebody brand new and that excitement you get from planning to do stuff and learning about somebody from fresh there is there is that is you know something that you you should kind of cherish and hold dear when you find somebody that you really like and somebody that you end up in a long-term relationship with you you do forever you know look back on the first few dates you've been on and you know when you were when you didn't really know each other it's it's it is fascinating that kind of building a connection with somebody but yeah i mean 100 percent. it's for me i'm a i'm a, I'm a you know one person forever kind of guy not never liked you know dating lots of different people so no, it's, it's, it's not healthy and it's not how we were designed to be i don't think and it's not how our our culture is and it's yeah it's not fun but the, the newness of a relationship is exciting um i will give it that so would this one i think is going to be the one that i'm so far i'm going to find the hardest to answer would you rather never be able to listen to live music or never be able to listen to recorded music mm. that is such a brutal question probably live music because record i've listened to mostly recorded music and i don't go to a lot of concerts so it wouldn't be too great of a loss but it would also um you know and there's also such a multitude of recorded music and it's such a part of our daily lives with just being in the car or or whatever so mm, i'm gonna go i'm gonna go differently on that i'm gonna go never be able to listen to recorded music as my option because there's something so just there's some there's something about going to a live concert 
that if you go to the right one and you go to see somebody that you love and you're with pe- good people and it's a really good show the feeling of being connected to the music surrounded by other people who are enjoying it as well is just like an out-of-body experience i love going to concerts when you you know a really good concert there's nothing like it and i just i'd really struck because i don't think i think if there was no such thing as going to see bands and no such thing as concerts mm-hmm. i don't think i'd be as interested in music as a whole because a lot of the time i listen to music you know, aside from you know listening to artists that you know are long gone or aren't currently together a lot of the music I listen to is listening to stuff because I'm interested in going to see them or learning about new bands because I want to go and go and see them in person. And I don't think I'd have as much of a hunger to listen to music if I wasn't able to go and see concerts. So I'm going to go with that. So would you rather this one? I think is probably I think we're going to lean the same way on this one. Would you rather give up social media for ten thousand dollars or give up chocolate for ten thousand dollars? social media yeah yeah I, I i would struggle to give up chocolate just yeah and i mean like i've you know i know i talked about getting rid of social media um and i i mean i have instagram back but it's much better now because i just don't really use it and but people can still send me stuff which is fun you know and i'm i'm never gonna go back to like facebook or i'm never gonna get tiktok and i'm you know, I don't know, like, but I could easily go without social media. And I mean, chocolate's so good, and I don't love it as much as you, but it's so good. Hey. <laughs> <a fat> joke. <laughs> Maybe, but no, it, no, it actually wasn't. I just know you really like chocolate. Plus, you have access to Cadbury's chocolate, which if I lived in America, I'd probably stop eating chocolate. How about that? Yeah, I don't like chocolate in america i mean i would have it occasionally but it's just it's not like cocaine level addictive in america i like a hershey bar as much as the next person i like a reese's pieces peanut butter cup or whatever but i genuinely wouldn't eat chocolate much at all if i was in america yeah and i don't you know i really don't so i envy you Unless it's good quality, like I'm not going to gas stations or grocery stores and buying chocolate just because it's heavily processed, nasty, bad for you stuff. But if I had Cadbury stores, which like you do, I would probably eat a lot more. That reminds me, I need to go to a big Cadbury warehouse and get some stuff stocked up for when I'm over next month. But yes, that's a, that's a task do. for a, that's a task for another day. Um, would you rather? save 100% of the world but not be recognized or save only 25% of the world but be praised by that 25%. Oh god, well this this is going to make you sound like a narcissist if you ask it if you answer <laughs> it one way versus the other. Um <laughs> I mean, I'm a, I'm I'm honestly like I hope that I'm that people feel this way about me because I, this is who I am or at least who I think I am, but I I'm a pretty humble and low key person. Like I don't like the spotlight. I don't like attention. I just want to live my life and be happy. And if I had the chance to save the entire world, the feeling of just doing so would be rewarding enough for me. And I mean, who cares about recognition? You know, like you're going to be what you're having to do. If you're saving a hundred percent of the world, 
it depends what 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 that entails if it's like genuinely like you've had all your dip dignity ripped out of you in the process because you've had to do something completely outrageous to save the world then you probably would want a bit of recognition because you've taken one for the team but i mean if you only save 25 percent of the world um that's not a high enough percentage for me so yeah i would go the same way as you but i would i mean if i literally saved the world I probably would be a bit pissed off if nobody said anything to me about it. Like, yeah, like, like, like everyone sees it on TV or whatever, and they don't quite realise it's me. Or if, or if they did, they just didn't say anything. I would be a bit, bit. I would be strutting around a, a little bit annoyed. It's like, hang on a minute, guys. That'd be the most. <laughs> that'd be the most British humour thing ever to happen. <laughs> and then it'd be like, you know, you just go back to your office and slough. And you know nobody knows. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like a bit of a like a plot for a Curb Your Enthusiasm episode. But um, yeah. So next one is: Would you rather? This is this is quite a hard one. Would you rather be famous for your talent or be famous for a discovery? Um, famous for my. Ugh, that is it's hard. hard. It's hard when you first think I, I, my first one was talent, and then. The more I think about discovery, it's it's. Ugh. Yeah, I um. Okay, so audience and Stephen, I think here here are my thoughts. So, I would love to be recognized for a talent like playing banjo or writing just an amazing book, um, or something like that, uh would love that you know just like to be to be like something long lasting and to have a legacy that would outlast my life but but i guess like a discovery would be the same thing like how okay like say you know we were just talking about these ancient greek cities in afghanistan like what if i was some archaeologist or something and i one day went somewhere to like afghanistan and i discovered this new ancient greek city that had like a treasure trove of tablets and all these like all this information on all these lost kingdoms and civilizations that just opened up a whole new era of history like i would love that too so now that i've laid that out i would probably say for a discovery because i would love to discover something um historical or uh, something like that um because that would just fulfill me and my interest much more than maybe just general talent so that's a very long-winded answer but that's my answer <laughs> i had to i had to work it through in my own head yeah I, i'm gonna be a bit more selfish and say talent like i'd love to be incredibly talented at something like world-renowned talented at something and that could be like you say writing a book like writing a hit like you know it's it's my it's it's a it's a bucket list item to, for me before i retire before i kick the bucket to write a book and it's something that i want to do well not interested in writing loads of books and it being my thing but i do want to have a book published that's kind of a goal of mine but to be like somebody who is hugely respected for doing something like that would be amazing or like playing an instrument like you say it would be amazing but then the fame would be a nightmare I feel like if you discover something, your fame is different to if you're talented, 
because if you're this is actually now I'm thinking about this this sounds like a nightmare because say you're Taylor Swift right and people love you for your music and your abilities it's your life is almost ruined because of it because you can't do anything normal anymore everything everything changes if you discover something you don't really have fans as such because people like are amazed of what you've discovered rather than you so you would get recognition and people would be you know you, you get invited to a lot of posh dinners but i can't imagine you'd struggle to go to walgreens without getting mobbed so actually ooh, i'm gonna go discovery because I, I think the, the huge amount of fame i think there's so many downsides to that actually so i'm changing my mind i'm going okay. discovery but on that note i do want to write a book at least one book one day and have it published i don't know if it's history or a novel or a travel guide or what you know but maybe one day we'll both fulfill that dream and we probably maybe won't be we'll, we'll, co, we'll co-write a book maybe we'll do that that would be good we could we could maybe form enough sentences between the two of us to write 10 pages just about i reckon i reckon um, we could do it i i and think we're, so. we're coming to the last few of these would you rather only be able to dance for the rest of your life or only be able to sing for the rest of your life? Oh, I'd much rather wish I could sing. Like, I, I would love to be able to sing. And I can't sing. And, I mean, dancing would be cool, but, like, singing would be so much more fun. I'm going to go dancing because <laughs> because I can – I well, when I was younger, I could sing very well, um, believe it or not. Um and used to sing for my local area in a choir but the you don't unless you're involved in music you don't really ever need to sing whereas i feel like there's plenty of situations in life where being able to dance would help you out there's nothing worse than being at a wedding that i know if you're not blind drunk and having to like dance because everyone's like oh come on dance come on and you're like oh god this is awful like i look like a i look like a wet kipper you know and it's dying embers on the on the poop deck of, of the hms victory but it's like i'd rather be able to dance because if you can dance people like are mesmerized like if you rock up at a wedding or if you know in a social situation like a house party or something and people start dancing and you start strutting your stuff and it blows people away if you can dance well and i feel like there's more opportunities to show off your dancing than there is singing because ain't nobody just randomly singing in company well if, if they are they're nuts so i'm going with dancing would you rather be able to shape shift or teleport teleport yeah me too be able to teleport and hang out with you all the time i know is that was oh that's very sweet of you and that's exactly what i was going to say is it just enabled me to just to just travel travel to and from the states whenever i liked be brilliant when i eventually avoid airports (laughs) and when i do finally get my packers season ticket it'll be a it's going to be a lot less hassle to get to those games yeah when you're 150 years old you'll get those yeah, well, you know, I've I've got a plan. My brain's going to be in a jar. We'll be cryogenically frozen, um, and you know, whoever the quarterback of the Packers is, is going to wake me up when I get my ticket, apparently, and they're going to drag me down to Lambeau for my first game of season to Golda in 2077, mm. whenever it is. 
That sounds fantastic. Although it would be cool to shape shift into like a bird or something, you know, and just like be it. Oh, it would, yeah. I mean, you could get get away with all sorts of stuff if you could shape shift. Yeah, but like, what if you shape shifted into like some kind of some kind of like pest, and then like somebody killed you? You know, they were like pesticide. <laughs> that would be terrible. <laughs> okay, final one. This is this is an interesting one. Would you rather meet any celebrity at any time or meet any fictional character once? Um, celebrities don't interest me really that much. I mean, depends are... what you mean by depends what you mean by celebrity. Celebrities don't have to be like the sort of general pop celebrity sense. Anybody is famous. Anybody with celebrity, yeah, I, I see what you mean. Probably like, mm, hmm. I'm just gonna say fictional characters because it would be really cool to meet somebody. You want to meet Frodo, don't you? That's what it is. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> or, or Harry Potter or something. Um, be really cool. Be but really if you cool. could meet any celebrity at any time, you just go and meet Daniel Radcliffe, and you'd be like, oh. Oh, I've seen Harry Potter. Right. Yeah, just he'd be like, all right, Daniel, uh, in character, do it. Uh, he'd be like, oh, God, again? <laughs> okay, so, all right, choose the one celebrity and the one fictional character. If you got granted one wish, you'd want to meet. The one celebrity would be Sean Connery. Really? Is it really? Sean yeah, Connery. Sean, I love Sean Connery. Is he your favourite actor? I imagine he is. Um, you want to meet him so much. He and Michael Caine and... Michael Caine. Yeah, Michael Caine. He, Michael Caine, and Robert Duvall are probably my three favorite actors. Yeah. All three just legends. And luckily, two that's, of those three are still with us, but... That's very much a uh, an old-fashioned uh, bar answer. Robert Duvall. Who's your favorite actor? Robert Duvall. Um, Lonesome okay. Dub, baby. Yeah, Lonesome Dub, baby. Um, and the fictional <laughs> character is Harry Potter, is it? No, 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 no. Um, it would probably be. Oh, that's that's so tough, Stephen. So tough. Fictional character. It would probably be probably Aragorn from Lord of the Rings. Okay. Okay. What are your two? Well, my, my answer is going to, for the overall question, is going to be meet any celebrity at any time because I feel like there's no fictional characters that I'm so desperate to meet. So uh, any celebrity at any time would just give me an opportunity to just constantly have a go at whoever the Prime Minister is for their shortcomings. And it would <laughs> allow me to... <laughs> yes, and you're thinking, oh, that's such an English response. Oh, he wants to do it so he can complain. Well, yes, actually, I do. I want to complain. <laughs> I want to use yep. this power not to not to meet, you know, not to go meet Shaquille O'Neal or you know have have dinner with, you know, um, Brad Pitt. I, I want to use it to complain <laughs> to, to make my voice out. <laughs> So yeah, so and then the one celebrity, okay, so one celebrity, one fictional character. Marty McFly would be my fictional character I'd love to meet because he's just so cool. That'd be a good um, And then a celebrity. Tom Petty, duh. Yeah, I mean, yeah, if we're talking live or dead, yeah, 
answered your question for you. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, it would, ha- it would have to be Tom Petty. So, yeah, there we go. That Although is the end of the... fictional character would be Michael Scott. <laughs> from The Office. <laughs> or Dwight Schrute. <laughs> but you, you could already do that. You've got Jake in your life. <laughs> No, he's more Dude, he's yeah. more like he's like Todd Packard, to be fair. <laughs> so there, there you go. That's the ultimate would you rather quiz. That was that was so, good. That was really fun. Yeah, yeah, something a bit different. So yeah, I enjoyed that. We'll so have to do more different things like that, more quizzes and so mm, forth. We should do a trivia episode. That'd be a cracker. Like a pub quiz against oh, each yeah. other. You'd absolutely annihilate me. That's the worst of it. Because my my not you've got such a breadth of knowledge, whereas I've got extreme knowledge about tiny pockets of things. Like you've got an, you've got an overall understanding of the universe, and I basically just understand a load of really useless subjects extremely well. British things. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, basically the entire ingredients list for Marmite. Um, so. <laughs> let's go top three bottom three okay and we can devote some more time to these tonight since we're much better on time tonight. Yeah. So, top three and bottom three jobs you'd love or hate to have okay my top three would be number one a diplomat i would love to be a, a diplomat for the united states and spend my life traveling and working at various embassies and consulates around the globe that is a dream and an, a very achievable dream too I might add, um, a very dangerous but very rewarding career. And to me, being a public servant is much more admirable than being a politician. So if I were to go down the route of governmental activities as a career, I would much rather choose to be a diplomat and public servant versus a politician because politicians are no good. Well, unless you're unless you're a good politician, of course. Yeah. <laughs> No they did exist at one time. It was a long time ago, but they did exist briefly. Maybe. There was and, about a year-long window. In a galaxy far, far away. Yeah. Um, um, mm-hmm. Number two, professional travel writer or a writer in general. How cool would it be to just make money off traveling and writing about it? Yeah, I mean, that's that's a pretty awesome answer. Or how cool would it be to write like one best-selling novel? Become a millionaire and then just live your life off of the proceeds from that. Yeah, that's not bad. That's not a bad shout. So that's number two. And then number three, this one's good. So if I were a millionaire, I would love to just quit my normal job and work at a library for the rest of my life. (laughs) Or a bookstore. Because let me tell you. Like, how awesome would it be to just literally be surrounded by books all day and just... You be Barnes, I'll be Noble. <laughs> That's right. Graham Kilby's. And, I mean, think about it. Like, it's low stress. You get all the holidays off. You're working, like, eight to four. And literally, like, you're just there scanning and shelving books and, like, talking to old ladies and school children and, like, Oh, yeah, the new Nicholas Sparks book is out. Oh, yeah, James Patterson had another ghostwriter. Oh, look, J.K. Rowling wrote another book. I really like this one. Let me put it on the front of the library display for librarian recommendations. 
Yeah, but only if I was a secret millionaire because, you know, that would just be so much fun. So much fun to just do that. Nice. All nice. right, what are, what are your three? So my top one is, so I was thinking, you know, I'd love to be a, you know, an athlete, like be a really good sport, but which sport? Now, it, most major sports, I feel like if if you underperform or the pressure gets too much, it's brutal. Like it's actually a really horrible existence and you're so famous a lot of the time if you were like, you know, American football or Premier League footballer or basketball player or something, you just, your life outside of work would be a misery. So I've gone for, I've gone for an international cricket player for England on the basis that if you were an international cricket player for England, your life isn't too bad. Like you've got enough fame that it's interesting and you've got people that, you know, recognize you and you're in the media a little bit and, you know, you have adoring fans and stuff like that, but it's not that, that's not that bad in terms of pure hatred and pressure that you'd have to deal with all the time. So I feel like that would be a really good compromise because you could get yeah. just as much glory without, you know, the constant social media abuse and just constant pressure from the media all the time. Because I feel like as a whole, although people like to criticise the England cricket team when they don't perform well, as a whole, the English media are kind of on the on the team's side a lot of the time because they want them to be successful. There's, there's less sales and less there's less interest in bringing them down so that's that's my top well um, and the good thing is Stephen, is you could come to america as a famous cricket player and nobody would know who the hell you were yeah 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 <laughs> well i play i could play major league cricket in charlotte um and yeah i mean now you've got all the good cricket players out in america all summer maybe i would end up posted out in charlotte maybe you never know. <laughs> Very Kilby-esque dream there, for sure. All right, number two. <laughs> um, a full-time author. So not doing what I do now, which is writing in, in a journalistic sense, but being an author. Um, having the time and space to write without the financial pressure. It's kind of similar to your secret, be a secret millionaire and kind of be able to mail it in every day. I would love to be, I, you know, I feel like if I actually put my mind to it, having spent, you know, thousands and thousands of hours writing creatively for my job, I reckon if I really put my mind to it, I could write a decent book about something that would, would make money, I reckon. If, you know, the luck of the luck of having good enough promotion would help you. But just having the space and the financial space to be able to do it is such a nightmare. You have to almost do it on the side and I just don't have the headspace to do it. So I'd love to do that. Be like, you know, your classic Stephen King who kind of gets up when he wants, does what he wants. And when he feels like writing, when he feels creative, he writes, he doesn't have to get up and do stuff to a time. He does what he wants. There's no pressure. The only pressure he puts on is the pressure he puts on himself. So that's second for me. And the third is a journalism professor, because I, 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 after doing studying journalism at university, I kind of did think, oh, if this doesn't work out, I wouldn't actually mind teaching this subject because I'm really passionate about the craft. And I would really enjoy being able to pass on knowledge to people who aspire to do it and give advice and be that sort of, you know, that mentor that 
you know a good professor is and if I was going to be a professor in anything I'd love to do it you know be a journalism professor at university level I think that'd be a great job I'd love to do that I doubt I doubt it's it pays particularly well for most places and I doubt it's easy to get into but I'd love to do it so that's that's free we've both gone with realistic ones which is interesting because when I when I put this down as the top three bottom three I thought it could go all over the place here it could go you know you know secret agent in space level of ridiculous but actually we've both gone with stuff that realistically if you really put your mind to it in some of these cases you could do it um, oh, that's interesting so bottom well, three history, what's the bottom three job history professor would be up there for me too but i decided to be a little bit more creative um than i initially thought but yeah bottom three uh claims adjuster for an insurance company that was my first job i never want to do that again it was horrible um and I'll leave that as that. And then number two would be anything manual labor. I would hate to wake up every morning and have to go to a job site and work all day in the sun or the cold and break your back over, you know, building something. You can make good money doing that sort of thing, but I would not want to do that. And plus, I just have no training or skills in any of those regards either. So that would not be a desirable career for me and then thirdly as i hinted at, hinted at earlier with the top three is politician i would not want to be a politician because you know if you're a, if you're a high profile politician in either of our countries these days you're either loved or hated automatically half the country in equal probably, measure yeah, yeah half the country automatically is going to hate you um half the country might like you might not um I would not like the public spotlight, especially if I had a family. I would not want the pressure on them. So that would be horrible. It, it is a brutal, brutal job. And I, the worst of it, after speaking to my boss who used to work in government about it, is it's the, the worst part of being a politician is actually your life outside of what you do in public and the times when people do see what you're doing. It's the hours are absolutely killer. If you're like a dedicated politician, you are constantly on the road. You're constantly living on three or four hours sleep and you're constantly having to learn like, you know, process incredibly complex subjects and documents and be able to, you know, make decisions based on, you know, low sleep and usually pretty crooked advice. It was a horrible, horrible experience. In a way, I'd love to do it for a year just to see what it's like to give yourself an appreciation for it. And I've read books like from politicians, like accounts of what it's like to be one. And there is parts of it that's just absolutely fascinating. And I would, you know, would be like, I'd love to do it. But part of me is like the the negatives will really outweigh the positives. So, yeah, I, I agree with you there. That's a, that's a tough one. I've gone my one is communications manager for a major corporation having done a, a better part of two years as a communications manager for a relatively small corporation and like doing it a lot like the pr work at a reasonably high level the stress is brutal it's absolutely brutal it's, it's difficult enough being a journalist because everything you do is in public pretty much and everything you produce to any level is going to be talked about and criticized by people 
and you have to just kind of let it go throw stuff out there and not worry about what people think about what you're writing as long as it's you know grammatically there it's not you know you just have to put you know have a fixed have a fixed skin and just get on with it if you're a communications manager for a major corporation and you mess up you're not messing up your reputation you're messing up the reputation of an entire company and loads of other people and the stress of getting things right especially under pressure is just horrible i hated doing pr for really needy corporations and companies it's just the expectation is just so much higher than what it's worth and if any mistakes and it's and the whole world caves in on you it's horrible so that's the, the worst for me the second is a cleaner just uh, like imagine like hotel like cleaner at a hotel well like, i really do feel for those people who, who spend years doing that like just going in and out of hundreds of rooms and cleaning the same room over and over again and having to deal with all the you know going into probably one in one or two out of every 10 rooms being a complete disaster I, I can't imagine doing that sort of job or cleaning kitchens and stuff and toilets in in public places that'd be oh. awful and the and the third one is surgeon because the pressure and stress of having to having somebody's life essentially in your hands um it's so complicated as well as well as just you having to deal with the pressure and adrenaline but also just the having to deal with the blood and you know having oh I, I couldn't do it because I, I genuinely faint sometimes at the sight of blood, so I couldn't do it. But I don't know how they do it. People who do high-level surgery are just absolute gods as far as I'm cons- concerned because I cannot imagine being confident enough and being talented enough to be able to do that. Yeah, I, I don't disagree with any of those. So good list. Good podcast too. This was good. The the. Would you rather was very stimulating, and I hope that it brings our listeners as much joy as it brought me to do that. So, good stuff. I'm glad you liked it. It was a risk, but it was a risk worth taking. Like heroin. Sorry, um, Stephen. Let's. Uh, <laughs> let's do I need to? Up. Do I need to like talk to you after the podcast <laughs> to make sure you're okay? Oh, you'll see me in a couple of weeks. You can pick up the pieces. You, yeah, and you're you're staying at my house. I you better be you better not be behaving in such a way. Oh dear. Oh, it was good chatting to you. Really good chatting to you, as always. Um, you you we'll, too. I mean, it won't be long until we're doing a podcast live in person again. Pretty much a year to the day from when we did it last. Well, not long. A couple more episodes, and we'll be we'll be in the same time zone and dwelling. Once more, my house instead of I yours. We, we should try and do a few episodes that week, get a few in the can, and and base it around stuff that we can do together and discuss on the podcast that week. So be it watch a movie or documentary or read something and do it in person. That'd be really good fun. You know what? We should there's do a, like three or four. There's a documentary on YouTube of, of Cock County, Tennessee, where Brian and some of those guys are from, and apparently it's like, very interesting and maybe we should do that like not just that but that could be one thing we could watch just because i want to see your reaction of what the <clears throat> of what that would be like uh for you as an outsider to to view and then to talk about it so that would be funny <laughs> okay let's do it let's do so that's, it let's uh that's one let's both come to the party with different things 
That sounds that, good. That'd be great. Cool. That sounds good. Well, it's gone one in the morning, so I better get some sleep ahead of my final day in the country. It's right. uh, it's been an absolute pleasure. It's been a pleasure for me too, as always. And I'll um I'll talk to you soon, and then we'll uh we'll do this again. But everybody, thanks for listening. You know the drill as far as liking and subscribing and sharing. If you have any questions or feedback, please comment, contact us. And uh, this has been episode 24 of the Neither Here Nor There podcast. We will talk to you later. Good stuff, Daniel. Speak to you later. Bye, everybody. Bye, everybody.